0: There's just so much more to hear.
1: Download our podcast at Dubaii1038.com. From the Intercontinental Hotel in Dubai Festival City. This is a Dubai Dubaii 103.8 special. Live at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Hear from the world's greatest writers.
0: Welcome back to our special broadcast at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. you're listening to Sonal and Noni. Hi there. Hi. And we have both been so excited about this conversation that we have coming up because I tend to geek out on all things space. Who doesn't? And we have Dr. Maggie Adarin-Pocock who is a space scientist and a science educator. I mean, you've been involved in inspiring generations to get interested in being astronauts and engineers and scientists and finding different ways to communicate the wonders of space to a younger audience. And Dr. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: It's my absolute pleasure. Lovely to be here.
0: (laughs) And I should say, at this point, this is your chance to get in touch. If you have any pressing questions about space, let us know 4001. We will put your questions to Dr. Maggie. And Dr. Maggie, I just want to start from the beginning with with how you ended up getting involved in this field. Because I did read that um, from childhood you had quite an an interesting back back backstory, in that you went to 13 different schools. Um, You had to manage dyslexia along with that. And those are the kind of challenges that people maybe don't put together with the type of success that you have seen in your field. So tell me a little bit about what that was like as a child.
1: One of the things I do often is, um, I, I do lots of, sort of public speaking, especially to school kids, and um, I tell them, um, I think the reason why I'm a space scientist today is because I had a crazy dream. And ever since the get-go, I have wanted to get out there in space. And um, so because of that crazy dream, I've sort of, uh, sort of overcome hurdles, you know, looked for opportunities, and it's sort of driven me to sort of uh, get closer to the stars, really.
0: What was the dream? Uh, the dream, yeah,
1: to, to actually, well the thing is, because uh, I grew up watching sort of things like the Clangers, which Ooh. they see in cute Ooh, little Can Oh, we, can, we, can I just put in there, I've actually got a clip of you uh, giving a speech to the Royal Institution Unconference. it was to a gathering of students, and at the time you were wearing your, your daughter in a ring sling, and your daughter Laurie is now not, nowhere near going to be worn in a ring sling, but uh, this is what you told the group of students. And as a child, I watched The Clangers avidly. I thought The Clangers were fantastic. And if you've ever seen an episode of The Clangers, it starts, you know, and now we're travelling into deeper space, to the planet of The Clangers. And I used to watch this when I was about Laurie's age. And I thought, wow, I want to go into space. I really wanted to meet The Clangers.
0: I love how we were all swaying (laughs) as that (laughs) melody was going, (laughs) if only you could see us now, Um, tell me, okay, so as someone who's not from the UK and doesn't have that background, I wasn't familiar with the Clangers, this was new to me, so maybe for our audience, give us a little bit of a background as to what that is and how it inspired you. Yes,
1: so the Clangers are these little creatures, Um, (coughs) they're pink and they're knitted and they live in space and um, they don't speak uh, like you and I in different languages, they whistle and uh, so it's sort of like a universal language, a language that anyone can understand. Or at least when I was three years old, I understood exactly what they were saying in whistles. And they live on sort of this, um, of this um, um, planet, sort of in deep space. And um, they sort of live together in harmony, and they're just so beautiful. And, but my, my favourite thing about the clangers is they have these sort of little ears. And when they're sad, their ears used to droop, and you're just like, ooh. <laughs> And that's what sort of touched my my little heart when I was three years old. So,
0: <laughs> so at a young age, you've seen the Clangers. Yes. You have a dream that yes. inspired you that you're going to be a space scientist. Yes.
1: And so it started with the Clangers, and then the, the Clangers were a bit of a gateway sort mm-hmm. of, and then mm-hmm. it sort of led on to a sort of Star Trek, you know, Leeloo yes. and Casper and things like that.
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. So yeah, no, so like, no,
1: are you are you just <laughs> in in your, your a little bit? Getting too excited. I know we've got a vibe going here. (laughs) And so and so um, all these things. I was um, with the dyslexia. I didn't want to read very much. So books weren't my friend. But then I discovered sort of science fiction, and these were books worth reading. Yeah. And so it's, it's trying to find sort of things that would sort of get me to my goal. And so um, from the sort of small beginning, also the things that ha- happened in a class as well. I remember sitting in a science class and the teacher asked a question. And usually I was in the back, you know, with the safety scissors and the glue. But because it was a sort of a question of logic, dyslexics are very logical. And I was able to answer the question and no one else in the class knew it. So I thought, you know, if I can do that, what else can I do? So I think, and also lots of support from friends, teachers, family especially. I uh, just so you know, if you've got a dream, you know, try. And aspire to do it.
0: That sounds like almost you took um, a learning challenge, and you found the advantage in it, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, that sounds sort of from what the story that you've explained. And and since then, you've gone on to do incredible things with very different types of technology. I read that you have been involved in technology to detect landmines. Everything from that to dete- to creating parts of instruments for telescopes. So what is the one achievement to you? I mean, obviously we can't cover everything, but the one achievement to you that stands out about something that you were able to do that you're the most proud of?
1: Well, it's quite interesting because, um, um, as you say, I've worked on instrumentation in many, many different guises. Um, But I think the thing I'm proudest of is actually speaking to so many school kids. Mm. Um, So my career is Diverse, to say the least. So um, the technical career is, yes, sort of building instrumentation that goes into space, building instrumentation that sits on the biggest telescopes in the world, which I love. If you get a chance to visit uh, one of the 8-meter telescopes, go, because they're fantastic.
0: On that note, what is the best thing you've ever seen through a telescope? When have you been the most in (laughs) awe of looking through a telescope and seeing something that you couldn't believe?
1: most of the telescopes that we have sort of look deep into space yeah. but a few years ago i was working on an uh, uh, an instrument that was going to go on a telescope and one of the things we had to do is we had to calibrate it so sort of get light into it and see how it was working and so w- with these big 80 meter telescopes we're usually looking at distant galaxies or sort of nebula and things like this but for the calibration purposes we actually pointed this telescope at the moon now i am a self-certified lunatic. And to see the moon in such amazing, astounding detail with an eight meter telescope, which is just something they never do. And so that, this was one of the best opportunities ever because, because of my instrument, we actually pointed to this huge telescope at the moon.
0: That's brilliant, wow. I mean, it, on that note, I actually wanna ask you about a program you did with the BBC. It was called Do We Really Need the Moon? And I wanted to ask you, do we? <laughs>
1: The question is there. Yeah. The, question is, um, the answer is yes, we really need the moon. And um, it's one of the things I discuss in, in my talks. Um, the moon does so much for us, including yeah. uh, potentially gave life here on Earth. Um, it's thought that in, in the early tidal pools, it was sort of the movement of the tide coming in and out of those tidal pools. And then irradiation from the sun yeah. and the chemicals um, that are available in the early Earth. And um, all that movement uh, caused a, um, a chemical to be generated called RNA. Which is the precursor to DNA. So, I, I reckon that the moon is the mother of us all. So, yeah, we do really need the moon.
0: <laughs> the moon just became so much cooler in 30 seconds there. And today, you were talking about how you really enjoy inspiring young children and speaking to children, getting them interested in the subject. You, at 4 p.m., are presenting Dr. Maggie's Grand Tour of the Solar System. Uh,
1: I like that voice.
0: i had to. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> voice over, so nice yeah, something like that without you know, giving it what it's due. Give us a little bit of an idea. Of what to expect how do you relate these kind of topics to children get them interested in it so um,
1: i've mentioned all my life i've been fascinated with everything's out there and um, we send probes out there and we're gathering more and more information about you know space and planets and everything else and so um i wanted to do something called a thought experiment now, this is what Einstein used to do. He had a really boring job in a patent um, office, and he used to sort of sit there and think, you know, what would it be like to travel on a beam of light? So I sat there and thought, what would it be like if you could actually build your own spaceship and travel and visit all these amazing places in the solar system? So that's what Dr. Maggie's Grand Tour of the Solar System is about. Um, we build, uh, design our own spacecraft, and then we hop on board, travel out to the moon, and sort of you know, walk beside the footsteps of Neil Armstrong sort of, in a sixth of the um, Earth's gravity. Then we sort of travel out and visit the sun and look sort of fusion taking place in the heart of the sun and then we sort of zoom out and start visiting the planets we go to venus and we go to mars and it's quite interesting as sort of a here in uh, sort of dubai there are strong plans that by 2117 they will actually have a martian colony And so we talk about that a bit. Where's the future? People talk about Moon, Mars and beyond. How about a moon base? How about a base on Mars? And then going out to the icy uh, giants and sort of visiting Jupiter and seeing the amazing weather patterns uh, in its atmosphere. And then going out beyond our solar system to exoplanets, planets going around other stars. So I I go a bit beyond the solar system. But yeah, you've got to really.
0: (laughs) Okay. be honest. How weird would it be to have a 35 year old woman sitting with all the kids open mouth? Because I want to come on that journey, please. (laughs)
1: Let's all go, Yeah, exactly. Oh, the enthusiasm. <laughs> um,
0: you, were, you were sort of bringing up there about, and I wanted to go there with you anyways, is what the work that's been currently done, there's been a lot of hype recently about different things related to space travel, whether it's, you know, greater access for tourists into suborbital flight, which people are expecting to happen very soon, to what you were mentioning there, colonies on moon, on the Mars. What are you the most excited about? What do you see? as something that really is feasible that we could see in the near future, too.
1: So I'm um, um, looking forward to the first person landing on Mars. Um, I was always hoping it was me. Uh, it could still could. Uh, a few years ago, NASA said that the first person to go to Mars is alive today. So um, uh, there's that to come in the future. And I think that would just be breathtaking. When the moon landings happened, the world stopped and watched. Yeah. So when I think we go to Mars, it'll be similar. But it's quite interesting, because last year we were celebrating 50 years since the moon landings. And I think as a result, people are thinking, okay, you know, we've gone to the moon, it was 50 years ago. Yeah. What are we doing now? And so the European Space Agency is talking about sort of a moon base. And NASA is talking about sort of a lunar gateway, where we use the moon as a, a sort of a stepping stone to the rest of the solar system. So I think the moon has come back into, a, into our vision, really. It's in
0: vogue again. It the is. moon is
1: in vogue. But what I love is, it's not just the usual suspects. In the past, it was sort of the Russians and the Americans. Right. But now, um, countries across the world are Japanese space agency, the Chinese, have an amazing space program. So lots of lots of people are focused on the moon. So my retirement plan is to actually, <laughs> <laughs> is actually live on the moon, in a, in a moon base, and have a huge telescope. Because there were some craters in the moon that never get daylight. And so I could have a telescope there, a big eight-meter telescope, which could work 24-7. Sorry, I get quite excited about this. But also, imagine it. but it's close enough so you could come back to um, come back to Earth for the weekend or something. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. yeah, you don't need to commit to it for that long. See,
1: Mars is your know, eight-month journey either way, but yeah. you know, the Moon's quite local.
0: You start to get a little homesick and just pop over on a yeah. rocket, no bigs. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think life on Moon would be like if you, you're kind of joking about it being a retirement plan, but what does that look like actually in terms Of what people have conceived of so far? Yes, well, um, one of the things
1: I discuss in um, the talk is uh, how different the moon is from the Earth. Um, On Earth, we have a nice thick atmosphere that protects us from radiation, uh, that sort of moderates our temperature range. Um, The temperature range on the moon is from minus 150, which is colder than Antarctica, to plus 150. Now, I bake cakes at home at 170, so it's hotter in some cases than an oven. So, um, So I think life on the moon would be incredibly hostile. I mean, worse than Antarctica. Uh, and uh, those huge temperature ranges would have to sort of work out how to handle them. But there are plans to sort of build a sort of you know a sort of moon capsules where uh, a sort of a, a modular capsule uh, lands on the moon's surface. It gets inflated and then sort of 3D printing robots scoop up the lunar regolith, the the lunar soil, cover it so um, you're protected from radiation and meteorite strikes and things like that. And so people could actually live in these little capsules and you could have sort of a number of them all linked together. So yeah, there are plants afoot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things that it's it's science fiction until it's not, right? It seems so out there right now, but you know, with the incremental movements that people are making towards these things and the number of people that are working on it, the fact that it is in vogue right now (laughs) makes such a difference. you know we only have a few more minutes so i do want to get around to asking you we are at the literature festival you were talking about science fiction and how much it inspired you i was a big trekkie myself i'm quite excited about picard coming out (laughs) again soon um tell me about uh, maybe your favorite science fiction book
1: of all time so um, i've read lots of science fiction and science fiction actually helped me overcome my dyslexia Uh, and so there's so many one is uh, called flowers for algernon and it's a very simple book, it's not set in space at all. But it's just about uh, a, 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 a young man who uh, has um, sort of uh, some uh, mental difficulties and he's given a drug which transforms his mind. And soon he's thinking better than the professors that have given him the drug. But what he realizes, he does calculations and realizes that his this intellect is only temporary. And so he feels himself slipping back and you follow this story of this sort of... A sort of unassuming child who sort of you know, takes this drug and then he, sort of, you know, he gets the intellect, We're the biggest intellect on the planet, right. but he realizes it's only for a limited time and he's fighting against it to try and keep this intellect as he sort of dis- uh, disintegrates back into sort of innocence, really.
0: That reminds yeah. me of some of the recent movies, well, not recent anymore, but some movies that have come out, like Limitless, did you see yes, that? Yes, I did. You know, Lucy, I think, has the same concept. Yes, the I idea. love that too. Yeah, yes. the idea that we could do more with our minds. Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. Well. You know, we're running out of time here. I could keep talking with you about this (laughs) subject really all morning, but um, tell us, where can people follow your work if they want to find out more about you?
1: Well, um, so uh, um, I do various things on YouTube, and in fact, I'm in the process of uh, setting up a YouTube channel uh, because my daughter, she's nine years old, and she loves YouTube, and she will watch it incessantly. So I'm trying to put some fun space stuff on YouTube, and just sort of crazy things like you know, um, if I, um, if a Newton actually um, invented gravity rather than discovered it, what would life have been? You know, everybody floating around, then Newton invents gravity and pulls huh. the switch, everybody comes crashing down. I love it. <laughs> so crazy ideas yeah. like that. So yeah, that's all going to be appearing on a YouTube channel in the next sort of month or so,
0: so. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Well, big thank you, Dr. Maggie. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating conversation. me just speak to a fellow space cadet. <laughs> love it. <laughs> no one's called me that before. I'm gushing a little <laughs> bit.
1: You're listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 special. Live at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Hear from the world's greatest writers.
0: There's just so much more to hear.
1: Download our podcasts at dubaii 1038com